Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another High Resolution. I'm Seamus Byrne. On this episode, I talk to Ash Ringrose. He's the head of SMG Studio, just ahead of the launch of their latest game, Moving Out. It's a crazy fun, family-friendly game, couch, co-op, exactly what we need right now, and it's landing on Switch, PlayStation, Xbox, and Steam this week. SMG Studio has a really diverse catalogue, but every one of the games has been a real eye-catcher. One more line, over-the-top tower defence, Death Squared, and more, as well as licensed versions of Risk. Ash has a background in advertising, which comes up in our discussion as part of pinning down the clarity of vision that the studio manages to hit on with each of its games. And also right here at the start, as we kick off the call with the realisation that Ash and I once worked together 20 years ago. A quick technical note, the phone line was not the best, unfortunately, but the conversation was top shelf, so I figured there's more value in sharing it than leaving it on the shelf. With that acknowledgement, let's dive in. I was just I was just saying to Jim before, like, have we met face-to-face or has it just been online or on Twitter or something? No, nope, because you know what I just realized when I was reading some of your bio stuff, and this is, and yeah. it blew my mind. We worked together at Euro RSCG. What? That's uh, that's going that's that's like well in my uh my archives. That's <laughs> below the fold. Below the fold on my uh on my LinkedIn. Yeah. But, really? So I was a traffic manager at Interaction there back in uh 2000-2001. Yeah. <laughs> and it suddenly hit me when I was looking at and I'm looking at picture and I'm like going, "Wait, remove the beard." Um uh, yeah, I think. Uh, yep, because you did flash and design stuff. Yep, I remember. Yeah, yep. the odd oh, one over to a desk to tell someone to get on with some work. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I remember making the website for iOmega Zip Discs. <laughs> um, right. And uh, Intel uh, Web Optimize. Oh man, that's that's yeah, gone back. So much Intel. Very so much Intel. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, that's. that's that's so random, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. So I was there for a year, and then went back to uni to finish doing basically doing journalism, and then I've been a journalist ever since then. Um, uh, yeah, so it's yeah, yeah it was, funny how yeah, the took, paths turn. Oh man, yeah, it took me what uh, eighteen, no, about yes, eighteen years or so, or fifteen years later, I was 
15? Yeah, I probably I got out of advertising, but man, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's classic. That, yeah. was, that, was, that was literally my first real, real job after Kinko's. So, um, you know, that was quite a, quite a journey. But, yeah, that kind of set me off on, on my path, you know, making, making Flash. And then I went and did a bunch of Flash games at Pyro. And then I was like, man, I just want to make Flash games all my life. And then, um, then, just, <laughs> then, then like uh, about a month into starting my own company to make Flash games, I'm like, you're going to pay me how much to make a banner ad? All right, I'm just going to do banner ads as well. <laughs> Yeah. And then just, <laughs> and then games just kind of got put to the side, and then slowly came back up to the fold. And that's yeah. Actually, I, I think that's a, that's a good topic to touch on, even actually, because I often feel like you know, like Flash is much much maligned as this you know thing that just kind of took over the internet for a long time and all that sort of stuff. But it really was so important to the creation of that sort of second generation of the web after everything had been so flat and so bland that it it kind of showed a lot of potential that just would not have been ready if that as a tool had not come along. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. Like, I think it, it kind of went in, like, after Flash started, or when Flash started dying, the web definitely went in this massive, uh, boring lull where everything's kind of, you know, squarish and, and now some of the, um, you know, uh, what are they called? Uh, frameworks and stuff are, are catching up. But it's definitely, from an entertainment point of view and fun point of view, it's definitely set itself back like 10 years. But, yeah, Flash Flash also spawned so many game, game people, animators. Like, um, I think the, what was it, G-Monk, who did a whole bunch of, like, really interesting Flash stuff back in 2000. He's a guy doing... Um, you know, the visual effects for, um, Iron Man films of all like the, um, you know, in the Iron Man suit stuff. So the, if you trace back the entomology of Flash, it's like, it's so, it was so influential <clears throat> and just all the really talented people just kind of, you know, spawned off from it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, everyone should be praying to the, uh, Flash God, you know, paying their tithes <laughs> yeah. to, uh, say thanks for, you know, spawn so many careers that, yeah, even even just flash animations and stuff like YouTube. Luckily, a lot of creators on YouTube they can still animate in Flash and do it over there. And but yeah, ah, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, a back in time trip. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you know, after those early days in design and working in Flash and things, was there you know was there a specific let's make a game moment, or was it was it something that just boiled away for a while in the background? Uh, well, we, we had done, um, so I'd started, uh, Soap Creative in 2002. So I went to Hyro, we did a whole bunch of Flash games, Flash websites, you know, did all that stuff. And I was like, oh, we'll just, we'll just do Flash games. We started Soap, we did a whole bunch of banners. And I think around 2009, when like, you know, the App Store and mobile games were starting, I was like, oh, we should, we should do one of those. And one of our developers was like, oh, I, I can do it on, you know, I can do that. And so we kind of had him doing it, um, between projects. And so it's between 2009 to like 2012, which is like a good three years. We finally finished one game and we published it through Chilingo. Um, when, you know, right at the end of the 99 cent era and we released it for 99 cents and it, you know, it did, it did really badly. But we're like, man, that took, that took three years because we just kept giving Pat like a day here or a day there. Um, and then that's when the Australian, um, 
uh, screen, you know, screen games fund, you know, with the $20 million fund came up and they were funding like enterprise. And so I'm like, you know what? If we get this money. We can, we can dedicate a team to just spend a whole year making a game or two years. And then we can get multiple games out and do it that way. And so that was kind of the impetus where we'd release one game, you know, on the side and it just wasn't working because, you know, it can't take three years to make every game. And it was always the, the problem, not the problem child, the, um, the, the middle child that was always left out because every other project had, was paying money. But having that extra funding just gave us that, uh, you know, uh, runway to make it. So, so that was kind of where we kind of put our foot on the accelerator on games and kind of dedicated a team. And for myself, you know, I was a bit burnt out from the advertising world. You know, that's where my interest was. So instead of arguing, not arguing, <laughs> instead of talking to clients about, you know, social campaigns for tissues, literally <laughs> tissues, and, um, you know, breath mints and pasta sauces and stuff like that. And, you know, I did Xbox stuff as well, but I did, did the whole gamut. I was like, you know what, I'm just having much more fun talking about, you know, game economies and weapon damage outputs and stuff. And so it took it took a few more years before I could fully dedicate myself, but that was kind of the transition. As we had more success with SMG, I tried to roll myself out of the soap side uh, because it was just uh, more frustrating or, you know, it wasn't, wasn't as um, gratifying as the game stuff. And then, yeah, I think it was about a year and a half, or, yeah, almost two years ago now, we kind of, Moved. I kind of went 100% games and let the uh, advertising side just run itself with uh, Brad Meyer, the founder. So it's, it, it's kind of came full circle. I'm now, now doing games full time. When in 2002, that's what I originally planned to do, but then it took uh, yeah 18 years to get to that point. The the, the slow straight road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, many many ups and downs. Uh, you know, I, I joke to people. It's like, man, I've made more money than I ever thought, but I've also lost more money than I ever ever thought I would have in my life. So it's uh, it's such a you know it's such a uh, when it's your own money and you're kind of bootstrapping it at the start you know it, it's definitely a real roller coaster. So how much visibility did you have back in that sort of you know two thousand eight nine sort of era when you know we had yeah. that that crash in the uh, in the local scene and it really did align with the launch of the app stores which kind of you know was pretty fortuitous in that you know, so many great Australian uh, game devs these days, you know, emerged thanks to um, just that alignment of, you know, studio closures, but then people with the right skills seeing a whole new platform that they could explore. Did you kind of see much of that at the time, um, given that you were also kind of interested then in trying to, you know, see what you could do on the, the mobile? No, like, funnily enough, like I was so in the digital advertising world at that point, like, like I honestly, I didn't even think I knew that we made games like at a triple A level. Um, cause I, you know, I have these conversations now where, you know, Morgan from Defiant would mention something and I go like, no, I, I have no idea who you're talking about. It's like this, this, this person, you know, they're, you know, really deep. like, oh no, like I, you know, that, it was that 2013, I pro- properly got in the scene, but between 2009 and that 12, we, we were still making flash games and I was heavily in the digital advertising scene and we were just making a game, you know, Again, just to kind of test the waters, but it was there was also a retention thing for our teams. They like, well, hey, you know, I know you want to do your own games, but hey, we can do them inside. So it was, you know, I was so out, of, I was so out of the scene. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then now I'm much more, you know, into it. And I know all the people. So yeah, I was I was still very much advertising, digital advertising back then. Um, so I kind of, you know, if, in hindsight, man, I actually jumped into it too, you know, much heavily much more heavily in 2009, but, you know, again, just 
trying to be as uh, strategic and cautious as possible, we kind of took it the, the slow way, which was, you know, in, in hindsight, again, not not the best way. <laughs> so, you know, for a listener who might not sort of know, we, you know, what was that sort of first big success where you went, okay, yeah, this, this game stuff can really work for us? Uh, well, we released our first game, which took 18 months, uh, and that was OTTPD, and that did okay. Um, you know, it kind of paid for itself, but then as a cathartic response to that, because that took 18 months and, you know, we kind of had a lot of, um, you know, we hadn't worked out our proper pipeline or, you know, workflows. We then made one more line, you know, basically we built the prototype in about a week and then spent another month and a half or two months doing the UI and connecting the ads. And then that game made more money than OTPPD did, like, in the first month. <laughs> and and kind of paid for the studio for the next year and a half. And we're like, whoa, okay. Um, and then funnily enough, we released that the same day as uh, Crossy Road. So obviously that went its own trajectory, but you know, <laughs> we had our own little success. Um, and um, we we're like, whoa, you know, like, this is this can actually um, be really good. So I think that that was our kind of, you know, breakout here. Because that, that gave us, again, that paid for the studio and still still makes money now, but paid for the studio for like a year and a half. So gave us a bit of a buffer. We did a few more of those smaller games rather than the big full-on games. And those smaller games are much more fun to prototype and kind of iterate on because you can kind of find the fun really quickly. So within a week, you can be like, nah, it's not fun. Whereas a game like OTPD, you know, takes six months before you can find out if the game's fun or, you know, there's a lot more of a fine-tuning. So we had that. We did a few more one-mores. Then we did Thumbdrift, which is our car one, and had big success again. So our hit rate, I feel, was pretty good. Mm. Um, and so that that just kind of spurned on and on. And then we uh, got the deal with uh, Hasbro to risk, and it kind of gave us the stability there. So, you know, whereas a lot of these other games, you'd have a massive spike at the start, and then it would drip off and you'd do updates, whereas risk has been nice and solid. So we, you know, we, we just luckily just kind of, not I wouldn't say fumbled, but we kind of worked our way through and we kind of built up a really uh, stable business um, over the years by having multiple titles in different places and different plat- uh, different platforms. But yeah, it was really that one more line that we kind of spawned it going like, aha, okay, wow, this is huge success. I mean, the, the only thing we did wrong was we released it in November 22, which was the same day as Crossy Road. Then we, then we all went on Christmas holidays. We came back and we're like, whoa, we should have been updating this one over <laughs> Christmas. Um, you know, and we, you know, we, you learn through, you learn through success, I guess. We didn't plan for success, um, well enough. You know, what do you feel like has, is there a through line in your games? Is there a sort of something about SMG that you feel like, um, you know, sort of a, a texture or a kind of style that you feel like sets you apart and, you know, help gives you a, some kind of an identity in the in the industry? Um, I don't know if it gives us an identity, but I, I definitely feel my advertising or even that my whole team's advertising background because, you know, we, we spawned our team out from, from so definitely gives us that kind of marketing edge or we know what can make things, um, you know, have a marketability. That's a really good point. Um, and also the, the team that I've got that I, you know, created with SMG, you know, legacy-wise, we've done about 250, 300 Flash games back in the day. So we're, we're definitely much more of a mechanically driven studio. So we do things like, you know, you one more line or you some just like the really cool mechanic. You put a nice, uh, you know, presentation skin on it and it's fun and it kind of gets your attention. And you kind of need to do that in at the game space. 
can't you know <laughs> you can't rely on a big story when you're trying to tell um sell a, a factoring TV with a game. Um and so I think they're just used to approaching things that way is like, oh what what would get people's attention? What's really fun? What's a really fun mechanic? And then how can we put a really nice visual um you know kind of market market marketability kind of um view on it. So I think you know, there's one more line. It was very much like, oh, I want it to be like Designers Republic. And we want it to be portrait because <laughs> portrait in one button just because it's almost like the opposite of what we did for OTPTV, but we gave ourselves a really strict brief. And so even just briefing ourselves, um, you know, because it's safe to having advertising briefs, just so the strict of the brief sometimes could better the output because you have to really come up with unique solutions. So I think maybe it's just that um, advertising add the game kind of um, training or pedigree, they kind of gave us the edge where, you know, look at other studios where they, they come at it from a story point of view and stuff like that. And it's like, like they don't understand how we work and I, I can't understand how they can come up with a game that's just like, you've just got a story, then what's the game? You know, for me, it's like we have the game idea and then we just whack, whack a fun story on top of it. So, um, you know, we, we just come at it from a different way. And I think that and just having the uh, multi-platform, so we've, always been in mobile then we moved on to console we kind of got in early on the switch as well so that you know that kind of gave us a bit more um ability as well because as different you know things go up and down so yeah i don't know if it really gives us an identity but it definitely gives us um i think i think gives us a marketing edge you know where i don't have, i don't have to worry about how to market my game because we'd do it inherently yeah and i mean look you know is there is there a tip there that you would sort of have for other studios or, you know, other people trying to kind of launch that, that first game idea to you know, what they sometimes seem to miss? You know, if, if it's something that kind of comes quite naturally to you, maybe it's, you know, a little bit hard to sort of spot it when, when it's not there. But uh, is there a sort of a tip there for what people need to think about a little bit more to, to help stand out? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's stand out, but I think definitely that give yourself a really tight brief as to, you know, when, when you're trying to come up with ideas, just what's, you know, brief yourself with a really, or, yeah, really tight brief. So don't try and be, you know, a JRPG with sweeping vistas and big story and stuff like that because it's just, it's, it's too daunting. Yeah. Um, the, the other one, I guess for us, it's like, you know, we try and make games that we find the fun fast. So, you know, you, you know within a week if this game's going to work or not, or two weeks then there's other games that I call them like almost like the knife edge game where, you know, you have a very long time when the game's not fun or even playable. And then there's this brief period of time when the game's fun. And then if you chin it, if you chin it too far, then it becomes unfun. Um, I remember seeing a video of the guys that made um, uh, FTL. Uh, what was their next? Uh, Into the Void. Or no, what was their? Uh, or whatever the sequel to FTL was. And they said, you know, it took them two years before the game was actually fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, into the breach, you know, those night edge games are really dangerous to make because you could be two years in and you never find that fun because you've tuned too far and it's, you know, too hardcore or you know, not fun. So, you know, we, we try to show games where, you know, you'll know pretty, you know, you know very quickly it's fun. And then and instead of trying to make the game fun, then you're trying to make the game polished or trying to add content to it. So we had that with moving out, you know, the very first prototype I saw from Yon was like, man, this is fun. This is a great sandbox. You know, and then it wasn't a matter of making the game fun, it was just making the game better and, um, you know, tightening it up. And, you know, we had 
we knew we had a fun game from you know month one, and we kept going from there. So that's that's a danger. I see a lot of them where it's like such a knife edge in terms of you know very small slither of this is where the game's perfect, and then any any side of that, and it's just it's not a fun game, and it's just it, you'll just lose people. Yeah. Um, let's touch on negotiating license as well. Obviously, yeah, you guys make uh, risk games. So, you what? Uh, you know, how did that sort of fall into place? Was there something? Did you proactively pitch for it? Um, how do you even pitch for something like that? I mean, that is yeah. a big license. Yeah, that was again probably the the advertising pedigree helped with that. We're, we're at GDC play like the little mini conference. Um, you know, the the show. Uh, what is it? The the conference hall at, at, at a GDC and someone from Hasbro came up, dropped their card. Um, I wasn't there and I picked up and I went, well, Hasbro. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, said, give him an email. So I emailed him and he's like, oh, if you, have you guys done any strategy games before? And I'm like, well, we've done this, this and this. We've done a, we did a game for Resistance 3. We've done a game for Expendables. We've done a whole bunch of um, kind of, again, flash strategy games. And then he's like, Okay, we'll fill out this form, you know, become a supplier, and then we can get you to pitch. But it really just came from that. But yeah, I'd done so many advertising pitches before. It was, you know, and and we had to pitch within ten days. And you know, I'm I'm literally in um, you know, San Francisco. It's like, oh, it's going to take me four days to get home. Yeah. Um, let's pitch in ten days. So we we smashed out this amazing pitch. You know, again, like we've done so many advertising ones. Um, had a lot of creds from the flash game pedigree and. And ended up it was for risk, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm actually a really big risk fan, and it it always sounds so fake because it's like, oh, really? You know, how convenient. But um, you know, it was, and you know, we put a lot of heart and kind of personality into that pitch, and then Asbury called, you know, we sent it over. I think we presented it on a conference call, and then I think a couple of days later they're like, ah, oh, no, nah, we 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 passed. We're, we're going to go with one of our other suppliers. So like, we're all like really sad. And then a week later they called back and said, actually. We looked at your pitch again and you had such personality in it, you know, and we really like your approach. We're going to give it to you. And we're like, yes, you know. So um, it, it came about like we actually built it for them um, and got paid to build it and they were running it. And then a year later, they were like, you know what, we're going to um, switch out our business model and we're not going to run games anymore. We're just going to work with studios. And so we basically bought the game back off them. Yeah, cool. Um, and so it was this weird thing where, you know, it's, it was kind of a risk-free um, production for us because they kind of paid to do it. So, and we took over, and then it was much easier for us because we could run our own timelines and stuff. Because before we'd have to run everything through Hasbro. So, we kind of lucked again, lucked into it that way. But again, our advertising pedigree, you know, being able to put together a pitch, and I think our pitch just kind of won them over in terms of you know we went, you know, I put little jokes in all the slides, and you know, tried to make it, try to add that Aussie humor to it, and I think. You know that that put us over the edge um, when you're kind of competing at a global scale for um, you know a, you know a company like Hasbro, mm. and then yeah, we've since run it for the last four and a bit years. This year would be our biggest year on that, um, partly um, due to the fact of the um, uh, what's happening with the lockdowns, but also because we just launched on Steam, and so um, you know it's it, we've definitely learned a lot. But you're having a game for again compared to like one more line, which is <clears throat> massive spike and then dies off. You know, um, Lib Risk has just been really solid and just slowly growing. So it's it, it's good for us to have multiple titles in our portfolio because really uh, bulletproofs us. You know, if, um, from the kind of market forces that are out there. Yeah. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Boll Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boll Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bollandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And look, I think it's a good point to, to touch on, uh, you know, given we're talking remotely because we're in the midst of <laughs> of this coronavirus yeah. crisis. Um, you know, what is, you know, as people who you have games in market right now, um, you know, including sort of, you know, that, uh, you know, new availability for risk and moving out, sort of hitting the market, you know, yeah. what is it, what's the cycle looking like at the moment? You know, are, is it kind of up because people are at home or is it just weird? Um, you know, what's your perspective so far on actually releasing games into this uh, situation? Yeah, well, we've got, I mean, <clears throat> for us, our from the, compared to the last 30 days, we're up like 44% just on mobile. Um, and mainly because in the last 10 days, we've been up like double, double revenue. So um, I can see... Um, it, again, that's a combination. That's just on mobile, but um, you know, Steam revenues up, our console revenues up. So these are existing games out there. Everything's kind of risen. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just people are, you know, they're they're bored at home and they've, you know, all they're like spending money that they'd spend at cafes or going to dinner or just bus there or <clears throat> fuel and stuff like that's just not being spent. So for those who haven't lost their job, they're just bored at home buying, spending money. So um, and entertainment's probably the the thing that's getting them through it. So yeah, we're 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 up and we'll have our best year this year, which is you know definitely got survivors' guilt on that. Um, but yeah, and I think the timing for moving out April twenty eighth coming out, we're hopeful that this won't impact it. If anything, it should do better because again, there's um, you know a lot more people yeah. lo- lo- locked inside their house or you know you know, uh, bravely staying inside the house to save the world, um, you know, together with their family. So releasing a local co-op game is actually not a bad thing. I've seen a lot more tweets saying, you know, oh, what games can I play with my family because we're all stuck inside. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll fill that niche because there's actually not that many family games that come out um, these days. You know, if you, if you try and find a game you can play with a, an eight-year-old um, that doesn't involve killing or shooting, it's um, <laughs> yeah. it's something different. So um, yeah, we're 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 way up, and I mean, I keep telling my team, you know, our team's been working from home for the last two weeks and trying to keep them motivated and, and feel you know safe and happy. It's like everyone we're in a great position, everyone's safe, you know, no one's going to lose their jobs. Um, if you need anything, let me know. Um, but yeah, it, it def- definitely being up has made this whole situation much easier um, mm. because we're in like a you know a great position. Yeah, and. Um, you know, let's just have more flexibility as well because 
some people like, oh, I need an extra day to, you know, look after my parents or something else. Like, just take it, you know, like there's no, you know, we, we have the flexibility now that we've, we've finished, moving out's finished, so we're just waiting for it to come out. Yeah. So there's no hard, there's no hard deadline. So it's, you know, we're quite lucky we're in a position where, you know, to be really flexible with the team and, um, you know, there's no impact on the business at all. So, you know, feeling, feeling very lucky and also very guilty about having <laughs> yeah. this luck. I mean, are most of your games multiplayer or are there some in the portfolio there? I mean, one more line, I guess, is sort of fairly solo. But... Yeah, I mean, just squared, you can play solo, but it's co-op. I mean, a lot of the mobile games were just solo as well, except for Risk. So mm. Risk is our only online multiplayer one. Yeah, right. Yep. Um, yeah, just it kind of struck me with that idea that it's like, yeah, whether it'd be interesting, you know, in the long run to see if, if some single player games are sort of flat or down or if everything is up. Or if it is that idea that people are desperately searching for that ability to connect through new games uh, with their friends yeah, that they can't see. That's true. Yeah, one of my friends who said his game is just his games have just been flat. His are all single player. Um, but yeah, Death Squared is up because yeah, I guess it's uh, you know co op play at home together. So uh, I'm definitely going to ask a few more um, studios and kind of find out what what the trends are. But hmm. yeah, maybe maybe you're right. It's like multiplayer or things you can play together would be up and then maybe up. <clears throat> solo games are just kind of flat because no one's really seeking out because i guess you know solo games someone sitting there playing a game by themselves while everyone else is like waiting isn't isn't a great experience when you're when you're locked inside your house so yeah it, it's definitely some great uh studies in terms of how people will, will spend their money or what, what the trends are so mm. yeah, it's a good one um so in a normal day in the life for, for smg the okay. um you know you you guys are mostly based out of game plus there in sydney is that right yeah so we've got the sydney and the melbourne team so the melbourne yep. team's all just on moving out and then sydney's across all the other titles right. we've also got a small team in um in la as well which is a which is a byproduct of at one point we had a, a soap la team oh, and right. then i from that but then um my soap la my former soap la team were like hey um, our company's shutting down in three months. We're going to be out of a job. And I'm like, well, you know, and I grabbed four of them um, together that, you know, wanted to continue working and, you know, brought them back into the fold. So I'm like, you guys are too good to, to to split up. And so we took the plunge there, but they're all working from home as well in LA. So, so we're kind of split between those. And the goal definitely wasn't to have multiple studios. It just kind of came out of that because there's talented people that don't want to move to Sydney. So it's like, the balances don't work with these people or work with them. And, you know, I kind of chose working with them and, um, and it just kind of worked out, worked out well. Like having Melbourne just look after moving out has been really good because then it's just one, one game for the whole studio. So they're really focused. And then Sydney, you know, we've got so many different titles. Sometimes it can be chaotic, but, um, we're kind of splitting into teams now with the No Way Home on Apple Arcade, Risk and then Legacy titles. And then the LA team kind of help, helping out across, uh, everything but we're also trying to get them their own dedicated game as well so yeah we've got a bit, bit of a mixed bag right now and what sort of um i mean sometimes we do yeah touch on the actual tools people are using but you know so how are you actively collaborating in those kinds of remote setups to to keep everybody i guess you know working together smoothly yeah it's all it's all on slack now even though it has its pros and cons but yeah everyone everyone's on slack we all have our different um you know, studio, each studio has its own, you know, dedicated channel for kind of general comms and they have their own, you know, project-based stuff. Um, 
yet many many um slack and, and you know a little bit of email um you know we use jira even though i hate jira um <laughs> i don't but, think i've met anybody who loves jira i know it's like where, where are they oh they're definitely out there because they they have a go at me on twitter when, when, <laughs> I, when i when i when i make fun of it but um um but yeah it seems slack sometimes and, and, and in some ways it's kind of weird because because everyone's working from home now and they're kind of sharing all the kind of um experiences working from home just on a on a common channel between everyone and some of my guys in sydney were like wow i've learned more about the melbourne team in the last month than i did for the last year you know because we don't yeah. um cross over that much because everyone's just working on you know johan who's on risk doesn't need to be across the stuff that's happening and moving out and so there hasn't been as much crossover so in some ways everyone working from home has brought us all together <laughs> yeah in some ways yeah, no, it's yeah, it's it's a fascinating time for discovering all these different things that I guess that we haven't been doing that suddenly we realize, oh, we could probably do more of this to to sort of socialize in different ways and get to know each other a little bit better. It's it's yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean it could be a full time job just um you know, I have other people saying like, Oh, we should do daily catch ups with the whole team. Yeah. And see what everyone's working on. I'm like, Oh, you know, I look it sounds great, but the logistics of it and trying to get everyone on board and stuff and have a a video chat with everyone um, across different time zones and stuff. Just it just doesn't work. But yeah. you know, we might do one a month or something like that. But um, yeah, definitely trying to balance out the, you know, still want people to just get their work done versus like, okay, now I have to find out what Johan's <laughs> working on, um, and James and Lee and Lisa and all that stuff. So it's it's kind of funny that there's some people who really want to know everything that's going on, and other people like heads down just want to work on their project. Yeah. Yeah, we're trying, to, we're trying to work out a you know a nice balance, and I usually try to be the conduit of that, where I you know pick out the interesting things and update the whole team, because otherwise people you know you're spending your whole time just trying to you know fill out agendas of what, what you've been working on. Yeah, and so aside from you know the world being in plagued, uh, if if we weren't having that hovering over us, what do you feel like are some of the the you know most notable sort of changes in the industry? Uh, over recent uh, recent times, uh, well, a big one would be um, the uh, I, call, people are calling it the access of free money. But there's, like before this, like last year, there was such a influx of new uh, opportunities. So you've got Apple Arcade, you yeah. had Epic Games, um, all these new kind of um, game funds. So you've got everyone from Kowloon Knights which are just, you know, funding money to Superhot Presents, which have done two Aussie game studios, um, to, you know, VR still getting funded. So there was just um, uh, Xbox Game Pass. So there was just this influx of all these new opportunities. Yeah. And I remember, I remember saying to someone, like, wow, you know, we got a game funded. It's like, why didn't we do this like five years ago? And then my friend said, like, this didn't exist five years ago. It was really <laughs> hard, hard to get funded. And now everyone's throwing money, or not throwing, but you know, there's a lot more investment in con- digital game content. Yeah. Um, and so that's why this this uh, whole virus thing has been such a uh, had such a negative effect because there's a lot more of that slowing down. It's a lot harder to pitch. So we, you know, we were still in the thick of that, you know, go- I'd say golden era where there's a lot more funding opportunities, um, and and that's just now becoming much more. Um, it's just slowing that right down now. So. You know, um, anyone that got in a bit early, you know, late last year is, you know, in a good position. Anyone that was gearing up to do that this year, it's going to be a little bit harder for them. Yeah. So that, that, that's, been, that's probably the biggest trend, just that whole, um, 
you know, Apple Apple Arcade came out of the gates really fast, but even just Epic Games. So it was it just took a lot of risk out of um a lot of risk away from from developers that could actually get that kind of funding to have that support. And that was, and a lot of those funds were supporting games that I wouldn't say I don't think commercial viability was their primary concern, which is great. Um, because previously it was always about, you know, uh, I'd say three, four years ago it was always like what kind of return am I going to get? How much is it going to sell? It's all about everyone recouping their money. But Apple Arcade, Kowloon, Epic, a lot of those are more about, you know, funding games that are, they want to see get made. Yeah, and that that's was really a, great. Was, yeah, that was a real shift. And even look at like Super Hot Presents and other ones like that, you've got indies that have done really well and they're kind of giving back. And for them, it's just about you know supporting games and creators. And it's like, hey, if we make our money back, great. If we don't, we still got to see that game come to life. So I think that that's a good trend as well. You're definitely seeing a lot more games getting funding where you're like, how's that even going to make its money back? Or a lot of times it was like, how's it going to make three times its money back? <laughs> yeah. um, it, it doesn't have to because people aren't so focused on that now. Yeah, that's good. Do you, I mean, do you think that will that will last? Or, you know, is it just kind of this, you know, lucky moment in time? Um, you know, it certainly seems like, yeah the, yeah, the diversity games that are on Apple Arcade, for example, is kind of, it's really interesting. And obviously a big part of it was getting rid of the, you know, the offering people that opportunity to have games that didn't need ads and didn't have, you know, all the other kinds of in-app purchase elements that have been a necessity um, and so there's lots of kind of creativity sort of on there. Um, do you think yeah. as long as Apple keeps supporting it, that'll keep working? Or is it sort of a case of, you know, that developers still have to you know, make other calculations in, in those kinds of things? Um, I think it, it'll probably become more of a mixture. Like the people that, you know, people that fund stuff just purely for the, you know, I want to see this get made. If I had too many that don't make it back, they might start mixing up the portfolio to be like, oh, we'll have, you know, some, you know, almost like this one for the Academy Award and this one for the box office. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think they'll try and have a mixture of that. Um, I think a purely altruistic uh, giving money just for the sake of it, that that doesn't last too long because the reality is kind of set in. But I think it's a good, I think it will stay as a good mix. I forgot about Stadia as well. You know, we just had all these new platforms mm. and, you know, you've got the next gen coming out. So there's just this time where, you know, there's going to be a focus on new content, exclusive content. So, yeah, I think I think it'll stay as a mix. Whether this, you know, with this, uh, the impact on the economy from this virus, you know, if gaming is still doing well, then it might be seen as a safe investment for them. Um, or whether some of these funds will contract or just slow stuff down, it's it's hard to know. But if anything, these funds are in a good position where you know they can be helping out people in in a real bind right now. Mm. Uh, um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't. I would I would say it'd always be a mix, and that's really that's like a, a middle of the fence, stay on the fence answer. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, it depends. Is always a valid answer. <laughs> that's the hard thing. Depends on what sorry. Uh, it depends. Is always a valid answer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. Like the part of me would be like, nah. Like the the allure of the the arty game and stuff will wear off and all go to commercial viability. But the people that I've spoken to at the different funds. They're definitely coming at it. I was very surprised. They're definitely coming at it from a like, no, we we want to make good. We, we just want to fund good games, the games that we want to see. And um, I think they've got enough money that they don't have to have that um, commercial viability hmm. be at the forefront. So I think I think it'll you know still continue, but it'll, it'll they'll definitely mix it up. Like 
um, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of what I can say, but yeah, yeah. yeah look, I, I know as well. That's, like that's it's that's hard. Stuff, yeah, yeah. Any, anything like anything I say about Apple Arcade, I've really got to be careful because yes. um, you know we're we're part of it, and you know, like I don't want to be seen on 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 quote saying something. And then Apple's like, well, yeah, completely. You know, we don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, so back to kind of big picture and then I'll finish up with a couple of sort of technical questions. Um, but you know, what yep. do you feel like the local industry kind of, you know, what could it use? What does it need over the, over the coming years to help it thrive? Uh, well, the low Australian dollar now I think is a benefit because we're just going to be, you know, that, that was kind of part of the uh, fuel that helped it previously. Um, you've got players like Sledgehammer coming in that are, you know, getting massive studios up to the the hundred people plus. Um, you know, if more of them come in from that, I think that's just good for the whole ecosystem because it'll let us attract better talent, retain talent. So I think just need more of that. We need incubators at the small side, which is your two to five people company. Um, we've got people like ourselves that are in the 20, 20 to thirty size, and you know, you can only grow. You can only incubate people for so long, and and now we're going to have multiple studios, hopefully in the hundred plus, that where you can really kind of incubate people at different levels that can run teams and stuff. So yeah. I think that that's an important part, just having those different those different tiers of studios where people can learn and you know they can come in at a small studio or they can go and come in come in low at a big studio and learn how it's done and see the pros and cons of that than. You know, previously, where you know, outside of EA and Wargaming, there just wasn't that many. There was no other studios above a hundred, where it was really impossible to, you know, just take a really junior role and and grow your way up. So I think that's important. So the low Australian dollar is definitely going to help make Australia more attractive. And then just having multiple studios. So when someone's going like, you know, maybe we'll lure people back from overseas because you know, the lifestyle here is great, so they can go. Oh, you know what? I can. I'll get a job at Sledgehammer, but if that doesn't work out, at least I can bounce to uh, Wargaming or I can go to EA or League of Geeks. You know, there's, there's other options for it. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise, it feels like a bit like a trap where it's like, well, if I get there and it doesn't work out, then I'm I'm screwed. There's no other option. Um, so I'm just hoping that Sledgehammer is maybe the first of a, of a few more kind of coming in and uh, kind of having that large studio world. And, and my hope is that they people learn things in these big studios and they realize like, I don't want to be at a cog in the wheel and they can come back to a medium sized studio or a small studio like us. Um, so it's, it's just, it's just a really good, I think it's just growing the ecosystem really and, and growing it at, at a, having that top tier studio now is actually really good for us. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, so in terms of skills, you know, what, what is it you wish you could, you know, if you were, thinking up the, you know, the perfect candidate or, you know, if if you are trying to sort of, when you're trying to hire people, you know, what are you looking for? I guess there's the technical skills, but are there other aspects as well on top of that? Well, that's, that's a very broad question. Um, I you can t- make yeah, it as I narrow mean, as you like if you... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, my, my selfish thing would be someone that can do a lot of things, so almost top to bottom, you know, your multi-skill person. Yeah. Um, but also... Someone who like has other interests outside of games as well. Like that's a big thing for us. You know, I see a lot of people where they they like video games, they read video game websites, they listen to video game music, and they know everything about Sonic and all that stuff. But like, <laughs> they have no other interests other than video games, and it makes them a really two D uh, person. Mm. Um, where it's great having people with other interests because those other interests 
definitely feed in when you're doing ideas or, you know, having a different perspective. So, um, you know, and that, and that sometimes comes with a, you know, an older, you know, we've, we've got a pretty high average age at our studio because, you know, I'm turning 40 and we've got multiple people over 40 in our studio. Um, having that life experience and those different interests definitely helps. Um, but yeah, I think from a, from a perfect candidate, someone that can do multiple things. So, you know, whether they're a coder and also understand art pipeline or they can do QA, but they also do dabble in a bit of music and stuff. Like it's good having multiple skills because you can just, it helps you with the up and downs in, um, the requirements in the studio lets them kind of bounce between other things, you know? Mm. Um, the QA person is now just, um, you know, editing, <laughs> editing sound clips for us, you know, this week because we need it done, you know, we don't have someone dedicated for that. So yeah, I think multi-skilled people are always, uh, very useful in a studio like ours, you know, different, someone like Sledgehammer where they can just be highly specialized at a smaller studio. You have to be very, uh, multi-skilled. Yeah. And look, you made me think of the one that jumps out in my mind when it comes to, I think that that idea of having broader interests, I think it is really important. And yeah, I remember last year uh, at E3 when Deathloop was announced, that was one of those games where, you know, you just see this trailer and you're like, oh my God, like this is clearly inspired by cool 1970s movies. Um, You know, the color palette, everything about it sort of just had this great inspiration to it. And you can't help but feel like, it's not that someone sat down and went looking for something to be inspired by, but rather that it did just kind of jump out as going, oh, like I love this stuff and let's let's play with that conceptual space as part of making yeah. this game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's You can tell some studios or even people that are only inspired by the games and it feels, you know, you're always one or two degrees of separation away and then you see other people where they come at it from, you know, uh, like I look at the game Sable and I go, man, it looks like Mobius art. And then you look at Mobius's art and you go, I'm like, that's just, it's so perfect for video games. Um, you know, and it's having that fresh look. So yeah. I think it's, yeah, it definitely helps having a wider worldview and just having different experiences to draw on because you, you come up with freshness, you know, and that's, um, you know, it's lacking in some things when, when everyone, so not everyone, there's, there's a lot of people that are very into in terms of the, there are only references or other video games and you end up just um it all feels like it's all made from the same recipe you know like everyone's eating the same um you know tomato soup and then someone comes in with like pumpkin soup and you're like wow pumpkin <laughs> amazing but like, yeah it's this other vegetable you know um that's a, i don't know that's a really silly analogy that's great like, i love it there's a lot, a lot of people just serving up the same stuff so yeah definitely it's a great great example i think that table game is amazing and then you know you see the movie art. You know, I look a lot, I follow a lot of um, artists on Twitter um, that just do book illustrations. And that, that's where we found um, Scott um, for No Way Home. He, he did Strange Chores um, series and he has this amazing art style. And I'm like, Scott, we have to collaborate. We have to do a game together. And he's like, I've never made a game before. What do you have to do? Um, and, and he's like, I just, I just draw some backgrounds, right? And some characters. And I'm like, oh, it's a little bit more involved in that. And we, we finally collaborated for No Way Home. And it was great. And he'd never done a, game before so we had to you know we had to take his art and kind of modularize it but the way you approach things and just his art style was so unique and fun you know really made the game stand out so you know i love that collaboration point of view and finding artists that have never done games before and you know their, their whole world about video games is just like he seems quite old so he's like oh, would be like a space invader type game like, no 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 
don't worry about that. We'll, we'll come <laughs> with the game idea, you come with the art. Um, but I think there's definitely a lot more kind of collaboration, inspiration in that sense as well. You know, finding people you know who are doing awesome art outside of the games world and saying, hey, bring them in. You know, than finding people who are already in the games world that you know there's probably there's less surprises there, I guess. Yeah. So as a last thing, you know, what excites you the most about, you know, getting to make games every day and, you know, getting to continue doing that in years to come? Uh, I mean, it, that shifts. I mean, having kids now, um, it's kind of funny when, you know, it's, uh, my kid will come home and say, hey, daddy, did you make the game Halo? And I go, yes. And he's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I was like, no, no, I, oh, sorry, I didn't make the game Halo. <laughs> but, uh, um, but you know, telling my kid um, we make games and even uh, yesterday I showed him like, hey, I was interviewed by EB Games. And he's like, you were interviewed by EB Games? He's like, get in the bed. It's like, that's so cool. You know, um, so I think just being a, <laughs> being a hero to my kids yeah. um, has been good. But um, I mean, what excites me is what I just said before, like collaborating with different people. So I see other people's art, like there's this amazing artist doing um, these book illustrations. And you know, I keep liking his stuff, and I'm, I, you know, I always hit them up on DM saying like, someday we're going to, co- you know, we need to collaborate together on a game. And I'd say nine times out of ten, they're always like, games. That sounds interesting. And I'm just waiting for the right time. So mm. just being able to like be able to collaborate at that level is, you know, really exciting. Yeah. And that's that gets me excited. Where, you know, you, you, you've always looked at artists from afar, going, oh, I really love your stuff, and you know. At some point, I can go like, no, we're going to work together. Like, I want to take your world that you, you create and I want to build the game around it. Um, so that, that, that gets me excited because it's, um, I guess it's like working with, your, not, not heroes, but working with people that you idolize and stuff. And that, yeah. that's always fun. I mean, just to quickly touch on the whole moving out thing, yeah, was, you know, yeah. you, we talked about before the fact that it was, you know, it does stand out as being a really family-friendly sort of concept. Yeah, with having kids, was that sort of almost part of that idea of going, there isn't much in this space, wouldn't it be great to make something that fits this kind of uh, area? Yeah, it, I mean, there's actually 10, I think there's 10 or 11 dads and one mum in the whole studio, so about 40, 40% of the studio is parents. Um, uh, so, yeah, def- it definitely helps. Like, even on the previous games, we haven't had any violence, No Way Home being the, the first game in a while. I'm sorry, pardon me. First game in a while that we actually had guns. Um, but it, def- it definitely is a fun thing to be able to play the games with the kids and have it be really wholesome, um, you know, with no blood, no violence. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it, it's definitely a, it's definitely been a conscious effort to remove any of those type of things outside of No Way Home because we kind of had that as a, um, a separate project. But yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a badge of honor in some ways to have those family-friendly games. And I kind of regret calling Death Squared Death Squared because of the name. Yeah. Like you say, no, no, it's really good for kids. Death Squared. But <laughs> in hindsight, I would have changed. I wouldn't have named it that um, knowing that, you know, there's such a, uh, a void in terms of kids' games. Yeah. But, you know, I have to live with it now. But, uh, um, no, definitely it's having games that hey, grandparents can play with their kids together is also good as well versus being combative. There's a few co-op games where it's all about Defeating the other person, yeah. and when you've got two, you get two kids that are two boys, you know, and one of them beats the other one, and they're in tears. You're like, no, 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 <laughs> everything's cooperative. You know, work together. Yeah, no, that's great. And look, I mean, is there anything else that I have missed that is on your mind that you like talking about when you get the chance to talk? <laughs> uh, 
no, you've covered a lot of it. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I feel like the Aussie game scene, you know, the good thing is we're not growing exponentially, which, you know, creates a lot of risk and a lot of um, issues. We're, we're kind of, I feel like we're growing steadily, yeah, you know, in a way, and, and that's good. And um, like I said, it's excited. You know, initially I was a bit worried about Sledgehammer. Um, luckily, they're at a different level to us, so it actually doesn't help hurt us in any way. But the more I've spoken to other studios, like, no, this is good. The more we grow that ecosystem at the top and the bottom, the better. Because um, you just share, you know, people just move around within Australia versus moving out of Australia. So yeah. I think I feel I'm 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 up, I'm optimistic on the game scene um, in Australia, just and growing nice and steady. But if you have this rapid growth, that that's where you know issues happen because people just make um, untenable kind of decisions. But by growing steadily enough. Um, you know, you build foundations and you can you grow from there. So they won't be, I don't think we'll ever see like a massive drop again because everyone's built it on a, you know, hopefully a very stable platform. Thanks again to Ash Ringrose, head of SMG Studio. Their new game, Moving Out, is available on Switch, PlayStation, Xbox, and Steam right now. And also a thank you to IGEA, who helped me put together a lot of these interviews at the moment, getting a hold of cool people in the game development scene around Australia. Make sure you are subscribed to High Resolution in your favorite podcast apps, or of course you can catch this and all my other shows at biteside.com to support the Biteside Podcast Network. We'll have more real soon. Catch you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.